Authors on the Air. I'm Terry Shepard. Welcome to Authors on the Air. Barbara Meyer Link is an award-winning California author and poet. She's the recipient of the Sacramento State University Bazinella Prize for fiction. Her 2010 memoir, Blue Sky, won first prize in the Sacramento Friends of the Library First Chapter Contest. She is also the co-author of Coffee and Ink, a handbook for writing groups. For 15 years, she shared her poetic gifts as a teacher. Her stunning debut novel is Choke Cherry Girl. Set amid the racial tensions of 1950s Montana, it's the story of three women drawn together by a stolen car, an illicit love affair, and a shooting. New York Times bestselling author Les Standiford says, The characters and the place are palpable, and Link's laconic delivery is perfectly suited for the proceedings. Sweet work, indeed. Before we bring Barbara Link on, here's a taste of Chokecherry Girl. Chapter 1, 1958. The worst thing about babysitting for the O'Malley's was the dead baby. When the bell rang at their mortuary next door, Bobby would leave the kids and unlock the door so family and friends could view the deceased. There she was, the silent baby tucked into a satin-lined box like a doll under the Christmas tree. Her tiny hands remained fixed in place, pointing to nothing or maybe to heaven, For other babysitting dangers, Bobby devised a strategy. After all, in 1958, she was a freshman in high school and knew a few things. So when dads drove her home, she scooted to the far side of the front seat. If any of them grabbed her, she'd pull Grandma's darning needle from her sleeve and jam it into his arm. Barbara Link, welcome to the program. Quite an opening. I love the way you read it. What possessed you to write? Well, I've always been a great reader, so that really inspired me to tell my own stories. Your work is described as emotionally visceral. Where does that come from? Well, I think every writer has to feel every single emotion that their characters are feeling. And not only do you have to feel what they're feeling, but you have to love them. And I think that's what produces that visceral feeling. Your protagonists are three very different women. How did you construct them? Some is from personal experience because like everybody, I was a teenager. And so my teenager is incorrigible and I understand that. The Native American woman is complete fiction. Where I lived, even though we were very close to the reservation, we didn't mix. But I was very interested in the Native Americans and what happened to them in the 50s because in grade school, we had an Indian boy in our class for a few days and he was kind of had a raggedy clothes on and he had kind of long hair. And one day I dropped my pencil and I looked down to pick it up and I saw that he had bare feet. I had never seen anything like that. And then in a couple of days he was gone and all was said was that he went to an Indian school So I did some research on the Indian schools uh, to find out what they were like. NPR did a great special on it. 
I thought my character, Mary Agnes Lonehill, the Crow Indian, should go to the Indian school. Well, and you have two others. You have Bobby Vernon and Patsy Olson, who are also very different people. Patsy, in the story, is struggling to open her new beauty salon. I think in small towns, the beauticians were really in the know of everything that happens because of talking to the women. And, and Patty, Patsy says, when I put my hands in their hair, they tell me anything. So I thought it would be good to have a character that was at the heart of the town like that. And then the third character, Bobby Vernon, the teenager, her father is a coach at the high school. And everybody in town is into school sports. Everybody goes to the basketball games, the junior high games. Basketball is really big, particularly in Montana, because it's so cold. And I wanted to explore what it was like to grow up in a whistle-stop town in rural Montana. What happens to the young people? Do they want to go? Do they want to stay? And of course, my character wants nothing more than to get out of Montana. She dreams of going to California. When did you first know that you wanted to write? Well, I, I knew all along. I knew in high school uh, that I wanted to, and I did do some, some writing that wasn't very good. And then when I was in college, I did some writing, particularly that's when I started my poetry. And as I came out of college, it was really only writing poetry. And I was in poetry groups. I was lucky to get things published and out there. Somehow midstream with the poetry, I just couldn't do it all with poetry. So that's when I started in the fiction. And I started with short stories about my character, my Native American character, Mary Agnes Lonehill. I wrote two short stories about her, and it just wasn't enough. There was so much more to her story. So that's kind of what led me, those two stories kind of got me going on the novel. Barbara Link is our guest. Her debut novel is Choke Cherry Girl. It is said that the best prose approaches poetry. How has your experience as a poet impacted your own writing? Well, I think it's taught me a number of things. In poetry, you have to get the most emotion from shorter lines. And in fiction, that applies. You know, you have a lot of words in fiction, but I think it's translated that I have, that I can carry over the poetry theme. And also a common practice in poetry is to repeat things. And I use that in my fiction. Not the whole sentence, but just a word every now and then, and sometimes a pause and then the words again. I think it's helped my fiction and made it, give it more impact. As a teacher, how do you distill the essence of poetry for young people? When I, I taught in uh, California Poets in the schools and I worked independently and I would go into the classroom and I would bring the children writing exercises. I have never had such satisfying experiences because they had no filter. They could, they could write and they weren't worried about what it was going to sound like. And even very young ones, sometimes we'd help them with a word or two. It was such a good way to express themselves. And I had one exercise and I said, 10 minutes of writing, just automatic writing. And they responded to that. And then we distilled it later into poetry. But I think it really informed my fiction. I mean, I was in awe of those school children. How old were they? Well, my youngest classes were first and second grade. And then I had 
many workshops where I had fourth, fifth, and sixth graders. Up until the time of puberty, they, they were better then because they didn't worry about what people thought. Later, when they're older, it's a little more difficult to get them to write. I had a friend that would come in and play the guitar, or I would put music on that really had no beat, nothing for them attached to, and they would just have to write everything that was in their head. And I said, I don't care if you write nothing, nothing, nothing. You have to just keep writing. But eventually, they would get beyond the surface, the older ones, and then they could get deep and write from their hearts. Did you feel fear when you approached this project of writing this book? Oh, all the time. The biggest thing a writer has to go through, because when you sit down and you have all the ideas and you look at the blank page, and for me, it was about thinking about what wonderful writers other people were, classics. And, you know, when I studied to Faulkner, I wanted to write like Faulkner. And I just realized I had my own voice. When I would meet in my workshops and I'm in two writing groups, I realized that everybody has their own voice and no one's ever going to write alike. And so each person has something to say. I think that's what freed me. You know, you're a writer. The fear doesn't go away. You write something good and then there's a pressure like, oh, now I have to write something better. And it's an ongoing process, but I think I'm more used to it now. And I, I think the most important component is, is that you just have to start and you know you're going to finish if you just start. And you have to believe in it. Like, I believed in my story. And I believed that the characters had something to say. And I had to renew my belief frequently. That's how I approached it. Are you a pantser or a plotter? I'm not a plotter. I firmly believe, like in poetry, if you're writing a poem and you're truly into it, you don't know how it's going to come out. And that translates to fiction. But I do think you have to have some idea of your story, of where you're going. With Choke Cherry Girl, I wrote it at different times. I didn't do it chronological. When I felt like writing about one character, I would do that. There was a time when I had a lot out there and I had to bring it together. I think the, the characters mean more to me than the plot. Barbara Meyer Link is our guest. Her new novel is Choke Cherry Girl. Her website is Barbara Meyer Link. There's an old saying that everything should move the plot forward or move the character forward. Is that your mindset? Yes, I, I, I think you can't afford to waste any scene, that there has to be something going on in every scene. But if you're just trying to move the plot forward, then I think you have some cardboard people. Your character has to be developing one way or the other. The character has to change even if it's just the tiniest, tiniest change, they have to change. Take us through the process of publication. Once you had your manuscript done, what happened next? What I did was, once I felt finished, I worked on the letter that you would send to an agent. And I have a writing group. And everything I wrote, I brought to the group. And then I began the process. There's a lot of rejection. And I have that in my poetry. But I think... There's such a huge market now with everybody self-publishing their books. But we have something that we didn't have before, and that's the Internet. And it makes the query easier. There are a lot of publishers and agents that you could just do it online. And it's easy to get discouraged. But I found that with each step, I felt a little more confident. And then I had a couple of offers to consider. One was going to put me off for another year. 
And I really liked that publishing company, but I didn't want to wait another year. In another year, I planned to have another book. So I went with the other one and um, I was pleased the way we worked together on it. And of course, any manuscript has to be edited. And they directed me to an editor who really helped my manuscript. She didn't change my voice, but she certainly made it go smoother and point up a lot of inconsistencies. You know, because in my novel, I jump back and forth in time. I have the backstory on the characters. That's tricky. You can't make a mistake. You can't say 1944 when you really mean 1942. And Acorn Publishing, which is on the back of this beautifully designed book, why do you think they do? Why do you think they yeah. chose you? Well, I think that they saw that I had a lot of experience in writing, and I think that they saw that my manuscript was in really good shape and that the story was intriguing. Um, you know, my one character who now they're called Native Americans, but, you know, in the, we just called them Indians. It fits nicely into our movement of Black Lives Matter. It gives a voice to a whole part of our population that you hardly ever hear from, who live in terrible poverty, and we've done such a disservice to them. I wanted to really emphasize that point, and I think Acorn liked that, and they also, I'm going to say there's women's stories, not that I don't have male characters, but they're women's stories. She Writes Press also wanted to do it, and that's just a woman's, a woman's press. But uh, Acorn appealed to me because they have the contacts, they have the distributors, both international and domestic. And uh, those are, I think those are important things to consider. You got a wonderful blurb from Les Standiford, author of Lost Train to Paradise. How did that come about? I met Les, I mean, you're from Florida. To me, that was a fabulous book. And he was out, uh, he came to Mendocino to give a writer's conference. When I saw who it was, I immediately signed up for it. And his class was going to be small, only 12 people, and you had to qualify. So I had to, you know, send them something and they would approve it. So I got into his workshop. And at that point, I had the novel, but I had it in different parts. And I really didn't know a good direction what to do with it. He advised me on that. He's a wonderful teacher. And out of those 12 people that were in that class, Every one of us has a book now, and some have more than one book. So when I wrote to him, I said, um, could I get you to, you know, to look over my manuscript and say something? And he said, send me the PDF. I want to read the whole thing, which just blew me away because he's a busy, productive man. I think he's, I don't know how many books he's written. He read the whole thing, and that was the quote that he gave me. You know, he's been very encouraging since then. I'm in touch with him. It feels like the community that we exist in as writers is very supportive. Has that been your experience in the craft? When I first moved to Sacramento, I didn't know anybody, but I took a writing class from the Learning Exchange and I met writers and we decided to stay together after the class was over. They were very supportive and now I'm in another writing group that's more of a critique group. They're are so supportive and we work so hard. We meet every week, Terry, and everybody brings 10 pages and they read them aloud and then they critique them. So it's very intense. And 
I've already been to college, but I went to our local community college and took writing classes. And then I went to Sacramento State and took some graduate classes. And every class that I took, I had great instructors and I met more writers. What was your profession before you started to write professionally? I was a teacher, but it wasn't a lot of writing. I mean, I did read a lot of student work and I took two classes in a literary magazine. I don't know. You know what they are, what the colleges put out. And those were eye-opening to me because I saw what everybody else was writing and what works and what, what doesn't work. And um, anyone in a community can do that. You can go to your community college. You can take those classes. You'll learn so much. And, you know, I was worried because there was an age difference. I was going to be, you know, with like 19-year-olds. And they probably looked at me and thought, what is she doing there? But, you know, by the <laughs> end of the class... We were great friends. That probably has as much to do with your personality as it does with theirs. <laughs> Barbara Link is our guest. The debut novel is Choke Cherry Girl. What are the early reviewers saying about your book? Well, I got a good review from, it, it's called Midwest Book Review. <clears throat> they sent me an excellent review. I have a couple of friends, Susan Woldridge, who wrote Poem Crazy, she gave me a review, a very, very good review. And her first thing was, she calls me Barbie. She said, Barbie, I think this book is really going to go. I hope that people that buy it on Amazon and Barnes & Noble will go in and say what they think of it. I mean, it's so new that I don't have very many reviews on the internet yet. What did your writing group say when it was all said and done about the book? They were excited and they helped me so much in, you know, in the ways of getting published. And I saw what they were going through. Um, they gave me a lot of good information. We writers can have fragile egos. How do you give criticism and maintain someone's self-esteem? Well, I think it's difficult for them, especially in the beginning. And the way we would do it was when, when people read your writing and they're ready to give you some feedback, you sat there and you listened. You weren't allowed to talk back or defend. You could write things down, but you weren't allowed to speak. And then after everybody was finished, then you could ask a couple of questions. And that seems to work because people, myself included, right away you want to start defending your work. Your story is not you. Once people realize that, they can detach from their story. And I think that's one of the most valuable things um, in, you know, a writing class can bring out is that you remove yourself from those characters and you're not them. And some people will make the mistake, like they'll ask me something about, well, what happened when you did this? And I said, that wasn't me, that was my character. Well, it sure sounds like you. And I said, it's not me. Most of us do imbue our characters with a little bit of who we are. Are there any traits in your three rock stars that are reflective of Barbara Link? Well, I think as a teenager, I was um, quirky. Not as quirky as the teenager in the book Bobby is, who charts her parents' sexual activity. But I was quirky and I was independent, so I could imbue with those qualities. Mary Agnes Lonehill, because of her race and because of her lifestyle and her bad choices is rejected. And I think I could identify with that. I mean, she never felt good enough and she never really had a chance. And I have felt that too at times. And I think everybody does. 
But I took that rejection and um, gave it to her. We're all born with the unworthiness gene, and we spend a lifetime trying to get over it, don't we? We do. (laughs) We do. And I mean, it's always there on the inside. And I think maybe writers are particularly sensitive. Don't you think so, Terry? The craft does tend to draw the introverts. And doing podcasts like these are outside of many comfort zones. How has the promotion process gone for you? Well, I'm like everybody else. I can do the writing. I love that. The marketing, I don't enjoy. But I find that there is rewarding things in it. When you give a reading, you get a lot of good feedback. And, you know, you can't write in a vacuum. Every writer has to have a reader to complete. So we have to see to it that we get readers. I'm not the kind of person that wants to really promote myself. I have many friends, I think, that don't even know what I do, you know, the secret thing I have. And, and, you know, someone will say, oh, Barbara's written a book. And then they'll be surprised and then they'll forget about it. I'm kind of underground in that way. Is that I want to be known as myself. I don't really want everyone to look at me and say, oh, look at her. She's a writer. Really? Why? Yeah, because that's not all I do. I mean, I play tennis. I'm a mother. I'm a grandmother. And I don't want to pressure my friends. Like right now, they know my book is out. I feel like I can't take advantage of a friendship to sell things. Oh, you absolutely should take advantage of a friendship to sell things. (laughs) Absolutely. Those are the first people the book should be shipped to. They're the ones that love you. They're going to give you the five-star ratings, even if they don't think you deserve it. The book is Choke Cherry Girl. Our guest is its author, Barbara Meyer Link. The book cover features a classic 1957 Chevrolet Bel Air Cabriolet convertible. Did Acorn provide you with the cover designer? Yes, they did. Uh, But I did a lot on my own. Working on the themes, you know, they gave me like questionnaires. What are the main things? What are your main themes? And, you know, I had a lot of things. I had the car. I had the, I had basketball. I had, and, you know, we went back and forth a few times and colors. And I had to show them other book covers that I liked. So I did do some research on my own. And when they finally came up with the cover, I mean, I was just delighted. And I have it on my phone and I have it on my iPad, you know, so that I have the cover around me all the time. What's next for Barbara Link? Well, I've already started a book and it's like a sequel. But in this one, I am going to uh, develop some of the other characters. And I've got 50 to 100 pages on it and I, because I find it a relief to go back and write when I don't have to do, you know, certain things, the marketing things. I can just sit down and write. And it's interesting to me because the characters are different. You know, they have, they have a different story. And even though it's going to be a continuation of some of them, I think what I'm doing, I really, I really like. How can people find you beyond the BarbaraMeyerLink.com website? Where else do you engage? Well, I'm on the website. I'm on Facebook. I have two, two Facebooks, my personal one, which actually I have it open to the public, and one for Mrs. Barbara Meyer Link author. I'm on Instagram. I have, besides your interview, I have an interview from a Montana radio station coming up in March. And then there's a program. It's called Stories on Stage, and it's in Davis, California. And they will take your story and they have professional actors to act out the story. 
it should be on stage, but it won't be now because of COVID, but it will be a podcast. So I'm quite excited about that. The last question I ask every guest on this program is this one. If you could go back in time and talk to your 16-year-old self, what advice would you give that young woman? Don't get married when you're 18 and your friends are all going to college. <laughs> Don't have a family. Because I did things in reverse. And, and I probably it started when I was 16 because by then I had met my first husband. Uh, I got married early. I had a family early. And then later... I was able to go back to college and then even start on my writing career. But I think I would tell my 16 year old self not to be so impatient for my life to start. Barbara Meyer link.com is the website. Choke cherry girl is the book available at Amazon and wherever good books are sold. Barbara, thanks so much for being on the program with us. I couldn't have enjoyed it more, Terry. Thank you so much for bringing me on. Authors on the Air can be found on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and SoundCloud. We invite you to explore the many other podcasts that focus on the craft aggregated at the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Our theme music was written by Pavlo Butorin. I'm Terry Shepard, and I'll see you in the next chapter.